0: This semester, I am bringing four messages related to great missionaries and a text that appropriately uh, characterizes their life. We began this semester looking at the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 and the life of William Carey, the father of the modern missionary movement. Uh, That next day, we had a missions chapel where Dr. Ashford preached, and that week, uh, 22 of you inquired about the possibility of changing your degree program to the two plus two or two plus three program because you felt the tug of the Lord uh, upon your heart in that area. Again, tomorrow we'll have a missions chapel. And again, Dr. Ashford will be preaching, following up the message today. And then David Crane, one of our international mission board uh, leaders, will be here with us on Thursday as well. This morning's message revolves around the life of a man by the name of Adoniram Judson. And going back somewhat to the way titles of sermons used to be given, uh, you have one that is more than just two or three words. "Marked for death, messengers of life. Paul's powerful promises applied particularly to those who long for the salvation of the lost with insights from the life and the ministry of Adoniram Judson and uh, the three Mrs. Judsons. Hear the word of the Lord, beginning in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. As it is written for your sake, we're killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter yet. Adonai Johnson is the father of the American Baptist Missionary Movement. Eugene Harrison calls him the Apostle of the Love of Christ in Burma. He left America as a congregationalist, the first American missionary. But on the way to India, he knew that he would encounter William Carey and his colleagues. And so he studied diligently the New Testament as he traveled from America to India, he became convinced that the Bible taught believers baptism by immersion. And so arriving in India, he sought baptism from one of Carey's associates. He wrote back and resigned as a congregationalist missionary, sent additional letters to the badges and said, I am here. You need to send me your support. He would labor in Burma for almost 40 years. He would translate the entire Bible into Burmese. He would spend 21 months in prison, nearly dying. He would bury two wives and too many children to number. Indeed, divine providence marked Adoniram Judson both as a man for death, but also a messenger of life. He was born in 1788 in Massachusetts, and he would die at the age of 62 in 1850. He would be buried at sea. Uh, There's no earthly grave that marks his departure from this world into the world of his King Jesus. Fred Barlow, in commenting on his life, said, By whatever measurement you measure the man Judson, the measurement always is the same. He was a mighty man. And you see, Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 39 is written all over the life of this wonderful Baptist missionary. In fact, when you study his life and I have spent all summer and much of the fall with him, you will discover that had these promises of Romans 8 not been real in his life, I have no doubt he would not have been able to finish the race and to keep the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we then weave into a hopefully appropriate tapestry this morning, his life and Romans 8:28 through 39. There are four promises from this text that I believe are lived out beautifully in the life of Adoniram Judson and also his three wives. Number one, the Bible reminds each and every child of God that we have his providence. Romans 8 reminds us that there are no accidents in the life of the child of God. This most famous verse, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. There are five aspects of this promise. Number one, it is a certain promise we know. Secondly, it is a comprehensive promise all things Number three, it is a comforting promise. They work together for good. Number four, it is a chosen promise. Those who love the Lord. And number five, it is a clear promise. It is for those who are called according to his purpose. Grounded in this promise, Paul builds in verse 29 through verse 32 to talk about the signed and the sealed and the settled nature of our salvation. Indeed, what you encounter here is what many theologians have called the golden chain of redemption that has five beautiful links in it in verse 29 and verse 30. He foreknew us. He predestined us. He called us. He justified us. And He glorified us all in the aorist tense, reminding us that in the mind of God, Each of these realities is a signed, sealed, and settled reality. As a result, then, of such a wonderful, comprehensive promise, the Bible then tells us that there are some definite consequences that flow out of this. We see in verse 31 and verse 32. In verse 31, we see that God is for us. What shall we say, then, to these things? If God is for us, Then who can be against? The answer is, it doesn't matter. If God is for you and me, it does not matter who is against us. And then in verse 32, the Bible makes it clear that he will give us everything we need for his glory and for our good. He, the father who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him? Also freely give us all things. How did this providence work itself out in the life of Adoniram Judson? Let me note three areas very quickly. Number one, his family and his education. Mentally, he was a giant. The biographers inform us that he began reading at the age of three. He took navigation lessons at the age of ten. Studied theology as a child and entered Providence College, now Brown University, at the age of 17. And yet, despite the fact that his father was a congregational minister, and as his biographers say, in spite of the tears and pleadings of his mother, he would not be saved until the age of 20. In fact, at Providence College, he became a confirmed deist. Walking away from the faith of his family under the influence of a very brilliant student. In fact, he finished second to Judson, who would be the valedictorian of his graduating class. Became under the influence of a very brilliant student from Belfast, Maine, by the name of Jacob Eames. Keep that name in mind. Secondly, his conversion. Few conversions are more providential in all of church history than the conversion of Adoniram Judson. Following his graduation from Providence College, he began to travel, went to New York hoping to find fame and fortune, but was badly disappointed. He continued his travels, and one night he came to a, an inn where he needed to stay for the evening. As he talked to the innkeeper, he was informed that there was only one room available, and that room was adjacent to a dying man who would be perhaps keeping Judson awake all night. Judson said, no matter, I need the room, I will take it. And the biographers again record the fact that all night long he heard the groanings and the moaning of this dying man in the room adjacent to him. And listen to what his biographer said concerning that evening. His thoughts troubled him. All night questions assailed his soul. Was the dying man prepared to die? Where would he spend eternity? Was he a Christian, calm and strong in the hope of life in heaven? Or was he a sinner shuddering in the dark brink of the lower region? But Judson constantly chided himself for even entertaining such thoughts that were contrary to his philosophy of life beyond the grave. And he thought how his brilliant college friend, Jacob Eames, would rebuke him. If he learned of these childish worries. The next morning when he was leaving, he stopped by the desk of the innkeeper and was informed that the man had died. He asked the proprietor if he knew who the man was, and he said yes. He was a brilliant young person from Providence College named Jacob Eames. Eames was the unbeliever who had tried to destroy Judson's faith. And again, his biographer says it so well, suddenly running through my mind was a thought I could not escape. He was dead, and he was lost. Lost, 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 lost. Those words raced through his brain, rang in the ears, roared in his soul. He was lost, lost, lost. And then and there, Judson realized that he too was lost, As well, he cut short his travels, went back home and began to talk more seriously with his father, encountered a number of wonderful godly men who at that time were teaching at Andover Theological Seminary, even though he was an unbeliever. He enrolled in Andover Seminary, continued to sit under the guidance of these godly men, and there at the age of 20, he was saved. His conversion was radical. He immediately dedicated himself in full to the service of the Lord. He joined a group at Andover called the Brethren, an outgrowth of the famous Haystack Revival. And there he answered God's call to be a missionary. He would turn down a golden opportunity to go back and teach at Providence College. He turned down the opportunity to take a prestigious church in Boston. In fact, when word leaked out that he had been offered that pulpit, his mother rejoiced and said, this is wonderful. You will be so near home. But Judson said to his mother, quote, I shall never live in Boston. I have much further to go than that. And neither the tears of his mother The tears of his sister, or even the hopes and dreams of his father, who had great aspirations for his son, would not deter him from taking the gospel to the nations. Thirdly, his wife. God led Adoniram Judson both to the right woman, and I might even add, the right father-in-law. Judson fell in love with a woman by the name of Anne Hasseltine. She was known fondly as Nancy Uh, By all accounts, she was a gifted lady, a brilliant lady, and a strikingly beautiful lady as well. She, along with Harriet Newell, would be the first women to leave American soil as American missionaries. She would go with her husband, but she would die at the age of 37. She would bear him two children, miscarrying at least once. Both of her children would die in their infancy. Roger Williams at eight months. Little Maria at 27 months. But Anne was saved at the age of 16 and she would marry Adoniram when she was 23. And as I said, brilliant in her own right, she learned Burmese and Siamese faster than did he. She also did translation work and she cared tirelessly for her missionary husband, especially during his imprisonment. There is no doubt that her care for him during those 21 months brought her life To an early and premature death. Judson, though, was smitten by Anne. And so there are two very famous letters in uh, missionary lore that were written by Judson, one to her father, and then one to Anne. Listen to the letter that he wrote to her father. Quote I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring, to see her no more in this world whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home, And died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God. Can you consent to all of this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness, brightened by the acclamations of praise which shall redound to her Savior from heathen saved through her means from eternal woe and despair? Her father said to Adoniram upon receiving this letter, I will leave that decision to my daughter. And he did. Adoniram then sat down and penned an incredible letter to his future wife, Anne, delivered on January the 1st, 1811. Quote, it is with the utmost sincerity and with my whole heart that I wish you, my love, a happy new year. May it be a year in which your walk will be close with God, your frame calm and serene, and the road that leads you to the Lamb marked with pure light. May it be a year in which you will have more largely the Spirit of Christ, be raised against subluminary things, and be willing to be disposed of in this world just as God shall please. As every moment of the year will bring you nearer to the end of your pilgrimage, may it bring you nearer to God. And find you more prepared to hail the messenger of death as a deliverer and a friend. And now, since I have begun to wish I will go on, may this be the year in which you will change your name. In which you will take a final leave of your relatives and native land in which you will cross the wide ocean and dwell on the other side of the world among a heathen people. What a great change will this year probably affect in our lives. How very different will be our situation and employment. If our lives are preserved and our tent prospered, we shall next year's day be in India. And perhaps wish each other a happy new year in the uncouth dialect of Hindustan or Burma. We shall no more see our kind friends around us or enjoy the conveniences of civilized life or go to the house of God with those that keep holy day. But swarthy consonant countenances will everywhere meet our eyes. The jargon of an unknown tongue will assail our ears and we shall witness the assembling of the heathen to celebrate the worship of idol gods. We shall be weary of the world and wish for wings like a dove that we may fly away and be at rest. We shall probably experience seasons when we shall be exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. We shall see many dreary, disconsolate hours and feel a sinking of spirits, anguish of mind of which we can form little conception. Oh, we shall wish to lie down and die. And that time may soon come. One of us may be unable to sustain the heat of the climate and the change of habits and the other... May say with literal truth over the grave, by foreign hands thy dying eyes were closed, by foreign hands thy decent limbs composed, by foreign hands thy humble grave adorned. But whether we shall be honored and mourned by strangers, God only knows. At least either of us will be certain of one mourner in view of such scenes. Shall we not pray with earnestness for an overcoming faith? Thirteen months later, Nancy would marry Adoniram. And just a few days after that, they would sail for Calcutta on their way by unseen providence to Rangoon, Burma. Yes, the child of God does have the Lord's providence. But secondly, the child of God also has the Lord's Prayers. You see, the child of God has a double blessing in the department of prayer. In verse 26 and 27, we are informed that the spirit of God prays in us. And in verses 33 and 34, we are informed that the son of God prays for us in here. And up there, we have a double blessing of divine prayer. Verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, using the analogy of a courtroom. The Apostle Paul says, who can bring a charge against you? Don't fear. It is God who justifies. Who can step up to the bar of God's judgment and condemn you? He says, it is Christ who died for us. It is Christ who is risen for us. It is Christ who is at the right hand of God for us. It is Christ who makes intercession for us. And I am absolutely convinced that had it not been for the prayers of the Lord Jesus in heaven and the prayers of the Holy Spirit in his heart, Judson and his wives would never have ever sustained the ministry that God gave them. Four areas quickly. That will denote the sorrow and the suffering that they endured for King Jesus. First of all, no welcome in India. They arrived in India, but the East Indian Company forced them to leave and they tried to settle in different places. Finally, they were removed from India, went to the Isle of France. And while they were there, they learned that Nancy's best friend, Harriet Newell, 19 years old, had died along with her little baby. In fact, the biographers inform us that when she delivered the baby, it was on the floor of a ship. The only person there to assist her was her husband. She, Harriet Newell, never made it to the mission field. Her husband would die just a couple of years later, never serving on the foreign mission field. You say, what a loss. Oh, no. Her death inspired hundreds to take up her place and to go where she had intended to go. She was 17, guys and gals, when she answered the call to missions and she went as a 19-year-old. They learned about her death. Then later, by providence, God worked it out so that on July the 13th, 1812, they settled and landed at Rangoon, Burma, where by the sweat... Labor and blood of their being, they would plant the gospel among a hostile, non-receptive Burmese people. Burma. In Rangoon, the first ten years of missionary labors were given mainly to the ministering and the mastering of the Burmese language. Three years to the day after they landed there, Judson completed a grammar for the Burmese language. A few days later, he would complete the translation of the gospel of Matthew. He would complete a number of tracts that were nice, concise statements of the gospel that he would very discriminatingly and very prayerfully disperse because Christianity was not welcomed in Burma. He could not be overt about his sharing of the faith. He had to be careful and cautious along the way. And after almost seven years in that land, For the first time on April the 4th, 1819, he ventured to preach publicly in the traditional Burmese, what is called a zayat. It was kind of a little hut with an open area where he would sit and call out to people who were walking by. He would holler out, Ho! Everyone that thirsteth for knowledge. And he would then invite people to come in and he would talk to them about the gospel. Finally... On june the twenty seventh, eighteen seventeen, eighteen nineteen, excuse me, almost seven years after he arrived on the field, very much like the life of William Carey. Remember, Carey, seven years in India before a single convert. Judson, almost seven years in Burma, finally baptizes a man by the name of Mong Hall, who would be the first. Burman to come to Christ under his ministry. By 1822, ten years on the field, he could count 18 converts. Thirdly, his life in prison. In 1824, war broke out between Burma and the English government of India, and the Judges, even though they were not English, they were Americans, were immediately viewed as spies. And in June of 1824, Justin was arrested and put into one of the most horrible prisons anywhere on the planet where he would spend 21 months. It was 40 by 35, five feet high, no ventilation other than the cracks between the boards. It is estimated that several hundred people were crammed into the room. In fact, listen to the historical record. In this room were confined 100 plus persons of both sexes, all nationalities, nearly all naked, half famished. The prison was never washed or even swept. Putrid remains of animals and vegetable matter together with nameless abominations strewed the floor. In this place of torment, Judson lay with five pairs of fetters on his legs and ankles weighing about 14 pounds, the marks of which he carried to his dying day. At nightfall, lest the prisoners attempt to escape, a bamboo bamboo pole was placed between the legs and then drawn up by means of pulleys to a height which allowed only their shoulders to rest on the ground uh, while their feet hung from the iron rings of the fetters. Mosquitoes would often land at night and eat away at the broken flesh of their feet, nearly driving them mad. And for 21 months, he would endure this on several occasions, nearly dying. In fact, of all the British prisoners who were placed in that prison with Judson, only one lived to be released. But now his heroic wife. Judson was not the only sufferer during this 21-month 21, 21 period of time and was now without support or protection and She was pregnant. Yet day after day, she would bring food to the prison. She would have to bribe the guards to allow her to get in to provide food and relief for her husband and for some of the other suffering prisoners. While he was there, she gave birth to a little girl by the name of Maria. And after 21 days, carried the little girl in her arms to show her father in prison. Immediately, the child contracted smallpox. Then the mother herself, the same disease. Then her mother also contracted spotted fever, which brought her nearly to her death. And listen to this. After many petitions, she secured permission for her husband to come out of prison. And he, with the fetters on and a guard following him, would go out at night and carry their crying baby about the streets, begging Burmese mothers to nurse the child. Because Anne could not, she was so emaciated and weak. During this time, Adon Ironman and tried to remain strong, despite the fact that their health deteriorated and death nearly claimed them on numerous occasions. In fact, Judson once remarked, quote, it is possible my life will be spared. If so, with what zeal shall I pursue my work? If not, his will be done. The door will be open for others who will do the work better. Later, toward the end of his imprisonment, his faith would be severely tested. Courtney Anderson summarizes the situation when he says, and I quote, His daughter was starving before his eyes and was nearly dead. His translation work was lost, and hence the title of my message, He Himself Was Marked for Death. I am again convinced that only the prayers of the Savior sustained Adam and Ann during those days. We have his providence, we have his prayers, we have his power. Life by its very nature is filled with sorrow and suffering, hardship and disappointment. And yet the Bible says in Romans eight thirty five through thirty seven that nothing in this life can conquer the child of God. Why? We've seen in verse 34, we have his prayers, but now in verse 37, we see that we also have his love. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? No. Shall distress? No. Shall persecution? No. Shall famine? No. Shall nakedness? No. Shall peril? No. Shall sword? No. And then quoting Psalm 44:22, he points out that indeed, many of God's choice servants are lambs led to the slaughter. For your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. No more sorrowful words are found in missionary history than the words of Eugene Harrison, who informs us of what Judson experienced and saw shortly after being released from his 21 months in prison. I quote, one of the most pathetic pages in the history of Christian missions is that which describes the scene when Judson was finally released and returned to the mission house seeking Anne, who again had failed to visit him for some weeks. As he ambled down the street as fast as his maimed ankles would permit, the tormenting question kept repeating itself. Is Anne still alive? Upon reaching the house, the first object to attract his attention was a fat, half-naked Burma woman squatting in the ashes beside a pan of coals, holding on her knees an emaciated baby. So begrimed with dirt that it did not occur to him that this was little Maria. Across the foot of the bed, as though she had fallen there, lay a human object that, at first glance, was no more recognizable than his child. The face was of a ghastly paleness, and the body shrunken to the last degree of emaciation. Her glossy black curls had all been shorn from the finely shaped head. There lay the faithful and devoted wife who had followed him so unwearingly from prison to prison, ever alleviating his distresses and consoling him in his trials. Presently, Anne felt warm tears falling upon her face, and rousing from her day, she saw Adoniram at, his, at her side. She suffered still from spotted fever, and now she had contracted cerebral meningitis. Amazingly, she survived but <clears throat> just a few months. In fact, in less than a year, while he was away again, commencing with his missionary assignment, he received what missionary historians call the black sealed letter. Told by its deliverer that it was his unfortunate plight to inform Adoniram that the little girl Maria had died, he opened the letter only to read these words, quote, My dear sir, To one who has suffered so much and with such exemplary fortitude, there needs but little preface to tell a tale of distress. It were cruel indeed to torture you with doubt and suspense. To sum up the unhappy tidings in a few words, Miss Judson is no more. She had died a month earlier while he was away. She had departed to be with King Jesus. Less than six months later, little Maria Would likewise slip into eternity to see her King Jesus and to be united too quickly with her mother. Judson, now this is why I want you to hear about him. Judson was a normal man like you and me. All of this weighed him down. All of this crushed him. In fact, he went into a massive uh, state of despair and depression because it seemed like death was everywhere around him. As a result of this, he left where he was living and fled to the jungle. While he was in the jungle, jungle he lived like a hermit. And there he questioned himself. He questioned his calling. He questioned his faith. During that time, the following things occurred. He demanded all of his letters that he had written to America be destroyed. And tragically, they were. We have very little from his own pen. He renounced the honorary doctorate degree bestowed upon him by Brown. He gave all his private wealth, a sizable sum, to the Baptist Mission Board. He requested a cut in salary. He dug a grave near his hermitage and for days would sit by an empty grave and stare into it. On October the 24th, 1829, the third anniversary of Anne's death, he would write, quote, God is to me the great unknown. I believe in him, but I find Him not. However, God's power and God's love did not fail him. He would emerge from the jungle. And in fact, because there's so many tigers in Burma that when he came out, the people were startled that he was still living. And as a result, ascribed to him an even holier status than he had previously enjoyed. I believe the Lord used that to open the door for the reception of the gospel. And as he came out, he would later say of those days, and I quote, There is a love that never fails. If I had not felt certain that every additional trial was ordered by infinite love and mercy, I could not have survived my accumulated sufferings. Judge would marry twice more. In 1834, he would marry Sarah Boardman, a precious and wonderful lady who had lost her husband, a missionary. They would be married for 11 years. She would bear him eight children, five of whom would survive into adulthood. And then she likewise would die at sea as they were trying to bring her back to America, having become very, very ill. In 1846, his only trip back to America, in fact, he was taking Sarah back to America, she died. He came on back anyway, stayed for a little over a year, met a woman by the name of Emily Chabot. They would marry, but not spend more than four years together because he would die in 1850. And four years later, following his death, she too would die from the tuberculosis that she had contracted. On the mission field for King Jesus. So we have His providence. We have His prayers. We have His power. And finally, we have His promise. Verses 38 and 39 have been called the grand persuasion where Paul says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I believe these four promises enabled Adoniram Judson to stay with the assignment to the last day of his life. He would finish the Burmese translation of the Bible in January of 1834. He would do a complete revision of it that would be finished six years later. He would also see a great move among the Karen people in Burma. He would see 7,000 baptized in Burma by his death. 63 congregations established under 163 missionaries, native pastors, and assistants at the time of his death. Today... In what is called Myanmar, The Baptist Convention of that country boasts more than 600,000 members in 3,513 churches. One source that I consulted said that Burma is the third largest Baptist nation in the world. All of that can be traced back to the life and the ministry of Adoniram Judson. Now, tragically... Most of those steeped in Buddhism have still not come to faith in Christ, but in God's providence there is located in the outer regions of Burma what is known as the Karen people, K-A-R-E-N. And God again had been preparing providentially that people for the coming of a gospel minister. Listen again to the historical record. In the year 1828, an event of vast significance took place. Having come in contact with the Karens, a race of wild people living in remote and almost inaccessible jungles, Judson longed for the opportunity of winning a Karen for Christ and thus reaching his race. This opportunity came to him through co Thai by a Karen slave who was sold one day in the bazaar in Mulman and bought by a native Christian who forthwith brought him to Judson to be taught and, if possible, evangelized. Kothai Bai was a desperate robber bandit. He had taken part in approximately 30 murders and was a hardened criminal with a vicious nature and an ungovernable temper. Patiently, prayerfully and lovingly, Judson instructed this depraved creature who eventually not only yielded to the transforming power of Christ, but went through the jungles as a flaming evangelist among his people. Indeed, the hearts of the Karens were remarkably and providentially prepared for the reception of the gospel message by a tradition prevalent among them to this effect, quote, Long, long ago, the Karen elder brother and his young white brother lived close together. God gave each of them a book of gold containing all they needed for their salvation, success, and happiness. But the Karen brother neglected and lost his book of gold. And so he fell into a wretched type of existence, ignorant and cruelly oppressed by the Burmese. The white brother, however, prized his golden book or book of God. And so when he sailed away across the oceans, God greatly blessed him. Someday the white brother will return, bringing with him God's book, which if the Karen people will receive and obey will bring them salvation and untold blessings. Who could have imagined that a depraved slave, a bandit, and a murderer brought to Judson in 1828 would become a great flaming abandon so that a hundred years following his death, there would be hundreds of village schools, 800 self-supporting churches and more than 150,000 Karen believers as a result of the life of Adoniram Judson. I close. On March the 4th, 1831, Judson wrote a letter to his fellow missionary, Cephas Bennett, asking for 15 to 20,000 tracts. He would be attending the great annual Buddhist festival at the Shawn Dagan in Rangoon. And there again would experience a mighty movement of God's spirit and an increased interest in the gospel. As I close, listen to what Judson wrote in this letter, especially at the end. And may God take these words and burn them deep into every one of our hearts as well. We have distributed nearly 10,000 tracts, giving to none but those who ask. I presume there have been 6,000 applications at the house. Some come two or three months' journey from the borders of Siam and China. Sir, we hear that there is an eternal hell. We are afraid of it. Do give us a writing that will tell us how to escape it. Others come from the frontiers of Cathay and hundreds of miles north of Ava. Sir, we have seen a writing that tells about an eternal God and... You are the man that gives away such writings. If so, pray give us one, for we want to know the truth before we die. Now listen. Others come from the interior of the country where the name of Jesus Christ is a little known. Are you Jesus Christ, man? Give us a writing that tells us about Jesus Christ. Are you Jesus Christ, man? Am I Jesus Christ, man? Could it be that my love and devotion to my Savior is so great that someone would come to me and ask, Are you Jesus Christ, man? I praise God. I thank God for Adoniram Judson and his three wives. May God, by His grace, raise up some more out of this very place. Heavenly Father, we have seen, I pray this morning, clearly Romans 8, through 39 lived out in the life of one of your superlative servants, Adoniram Judson and his three wives. And Lord, I am shamed when I complain about such mundane things that go on in my life when I consider what this man suffered and sacrificed for you. Two wives, almost 10 children, imprisonment. Heartache and sorrow, and yet he stayed with it to the end, knowing that you indeed had called him to such a life and that you indeed would be faithful to see him to the end. Lord, may you indeed, by your grace and for your glory, raise up in our midst men and women like Adoniram, like Anne, like Mary, like Emily that we too might be able to look from heaven over our lifetime of service and see hundreds of thousands that are now surrounding the heavenly throne because of our faithfulness to be a witness for King Jesus. We make our prayer in His name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary.